You're listening to the Salty Sex Cast with Mariah and friends. Minimize the fear. Expand your awareness. Welcome back, all you sexy souls. It's Mariah with the Salty Sex Cast. I have Dr. Alexandra Stockwell with me today. And before we get too far into our conversation or in the topic, I just want to say thank you for being brave enough to press play and to hear what this episode's all about, to explore more areas around sex and sexuality for yourself, for your wellness, and maybe for your partner or partners. So welcome, Alexandra. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mariah. Yes. So please introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, tell us, you know, what you do and your, your specialty. We'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Okay. I am a physician. I'm an MD and I don't practice medicine anymore. I am full-time a relationship and intimacy coach. I call myself an intimate marriage expert because I take my expertise from practicing clinical medicine. I was a family doctor and all of the various coach training and teaching that I've done. And my primary focus is with committed couples because it's a whole other thing to learn how to really improve sex and enjoy sex and have more intimate relationships and juiciness and passion with the partner you're committed to and have already built a life with for five years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years. So if that's you, you're the kind of person that I'm really devoted to serving. I myself have been married for 26 years. My husband and I have very full professional lives. We have four children and we have a really extraordinary, passionate, intimate marriage. I am actually and so is he children of divorce and so this wasn't some natural evolution for us it is definitely a learned skill and i guess i'll just add that i deeply believe and prove to myself day in and day out that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill and so if that's what you want and you don't have it the only thing missing is education I love that. Just being able to, you know, there is hope for all relationships, but those long-term committed relationships, when you have those life things that can throw wrenches in, and it's just so easy to put that intimacy, that passion on the back burner when it is, we got to be in survival mode. We have kids to take care of. We have careers on the line or education that we're trying to earn in this moment. and. I, myself, my husband and I, um, both multiple degrees and, um, since we've been married and I've had lots of ups and downs and I can't tell you how many times it's been. Um, can I just put you on the back burner until the end of the semester or when I get this new certificate or, um, anything else? And we noticed that that was not working for us at all. It's a consistent thing. And it wasn't a, a communication thing. It wasn't a, you know, a, we need to feel better about our bodies to be more intimate. It was really just kind of how do we connect with one another? So I'd love to hear 
Um, what got you started on this journey and, um, how you're helping all of those people, all of your clients now because of your own experience. Okay. Well, my husband and I met in medical school and medical school residency, pretty rigorous time intensive experiences. We were working 60 to hundred hours a week throughout most of that time. And we met the first week of medical school, we were together and then we got engaged and married. And I had my first child after my third year of medical school and the second one just before my internship. So the first 10 years of our relationship really were pretty intense with long work hours, babies in diapers. And we never had that like early phase of courting and going away for the weekend, even just going to the movies, you know, maybe we did a little bit first year of medical school, but it's, it doesn't stick up in my memory, stick out in my memory. So the point is that each of us just assumed that once we had more time, then things would be really delicious for us and erotically gratifying. And it's not that the sex we were having was bad. It just wasn't frequent. And mostly I was clear that while I was having orgasms, I wasn't, it wasn't like the poets describe where afterwards there was this sense of communion and connection. Like sex was fine, but it didn't further our relationship. It felt like more of a fun ancillary activity rather than central or explicitly nourishing. And so we just always assumed, you know, once we had time, this would change. But now I say often to couples, it's not more time that you need. Yes, you do need some time. That is correct. But once we were both attendings, we had our weekends off. We didn't have any children in diapers. We have a nice big gap between our second and third children. And so there just was more time. And we discovered, I discovered that that really wasn't the only issue. Mm. We really didn't know how to connect with one another in a deeper way that we both desired. We weren't fighting. That wasn't the problem. We just didn't really know how. And eventually really for my own purposes i did this very in-depth training on sensuality and sexuality which doubled as a coach training but at the time i had no idea what a coach was this is quite a while ago and (laughs) coaching wasn't in the mainstream like it is now and but i'm curious and so i went to the teaching lab just to check it out and i was like oh this is actually what i want to do but Um, since then I've done many trainings and developed my own methods. And so in terms of what I actually offer couples, there are two things I want to presence. One is that human beings, whatever else we are, we are mammals and mammals learn through imitation. And so even though for those many advanced degrees that you and your husband have, you used your prefrontal cortex and me too, and my husband too. And when it comes to learning calculus or um, spelling, we definitely 
need our prefrontal cortexes, our conscious minds. But when it comes to relationships Mm -hmm. and how we relate to our own bodies and our partner's body, so much of that is through imitation because mammals learn through imitation, especially about relationships. And it's very rare for somebody as a child to have role models that are actually relevant and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there aren't people who have parents or grandparents with marriages they admire, but it's a different era. It's two different people than you and your spouse. And you might admire the quality of the love, but it's rarely relevant to go about creating it in the same way that people of another generation did. And most people don't have parents and grandparents or other people they're exposed to with relationships that are even ones they admire in the first place. And when I started coaching, I used to ask couples, you know, like what inspires you? What's a relationship that really you'd like to emulate in part? could be celebrities from movies, from books, like mm-hmm. anyone you know personally. And couples routinely were just kind of quizzical and uncertain. And so I stopped asking, but I found that incredibly revealing. And so this gets back to what I said earlier about fantastic, having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. And the real problem is that we don't have education because the education we need doesn't come when we need it as we need it through modeling and so then we're left with porn or um some kind of superficial teaching in a religious context even though it's not supposed to be superficial it actually often is or rom-coms like we just don't have reliable sources so Like that's really the most important thing to know first, if you don't have a fantastic relationship and a gratifying sex life, that's just because you're a member of our culture. There's nothing Mm -hmm. inherently wrong with you and nothing inherently impossible for you to experience. Mm -hmm. So I have more to say, but I'll stop there for a second. I mean, it's just really wonderful to hear uh, a very validating thing, you know, uh, most folks do want a healthy relationship, but have no clue what it even would look like. Or how do I have that passion with my spouse? That isn't the surface level that I've picked up from movies or even what maybe like other friends couples show. We know that that's not the same behind doors. That's sometimes usually (laughs) on the streets. Um, it's very, very different. Even, um, my own parents looking at theirs, um, never really seeing them disagree and make up or anything. Um, maybe some embraces, but it was, it was rare occasion. So you only see them in this, um, tag team type environment. Dad's, you know, over here doing laundry, mom's getting dinner ready. And that's kind of the only time you really see them together. So even that model of a relationship the tiny wedge of that whole pie. And so it's really good to hear and just validate that it is so difficult to how, where, who do we find this information from? 
Yes. And actually you said something that um, reminds me of an extremely pivotal moment on my journey, which actually was before I did my training where I realized, so we have four children and we have dinner together and I sit on one end of the table, my husband at the other. And it just occurred to me that either I ignored him, not in a way that was rude. I'm not talking about a cold shoulder. It's just that he didn't need my attention. The kids did. And Mm. I was, you know, making sure the food was served and, you know, people are chewing with their mouth closed, whatever that, (laughs) you know, so it wasn't that I was, I don't mean that as a a coldness, but just, I would just ignore him because he was fine on his own. He didn't need me. So that was one mode I had. And then the other mode was just to look at him gratefully as a wonderful co-parent. What you said about your parents tag team, made me think of it. And the thing is, this moment that I'm sharing was after we had gotten to where the sex we were having was on a very good trajectory. And I mean, I had so much yet to learn, but I felt like, okay, we're, we're in the right direction. We're in the right ballpark in the right country. And, um, I realized like, okay, so we're learning how to really touch one another, but I don't want to wait until, the kids are asleep and the kitchen is cleaned and everything is taken care of any late night work that either of us have has been completed and we're both not about to fall asleep. I don't want all those criteria to be met in order to have a sexy vibe and feel some erotic electricity with my husband. And so this occurred to me at the dining table when I suddenly became aware, oh, I either ignore him or look at him as a wonderful co-parent. What if I look at him as the really attractive man that I enjoy in all kinds of intimate ways? What if I see him that way? I'm not saying anything, like I'm, I'm not talking about taking my clothes off and asking him to and you know, suddenly changing the vibe in our family. I'm not talking about anything like that. In fact, I coined one of my favorite terms, which is discrete eroticism, because while having a normal family life, we've learned how to have the erotic electricity present, not just when everyone is all set and everything is taken care of. And so just looking at my husband and seeing, oh, like he's this attractive man and I feel like a woman. Even as I'm saying it now, my breathing is deeper. My speech is a little slower. The pitch of my voice is also a little bit lower. It's like just looking at him and orienting to him that way makes me feel better and more alive and more vibrant and engaged. And when I first played with this, it felt like such a taboo. Like I would be more comfortable with some kind of kinky taboo than bringing erotic energy into my body and soul in a family moment. But to my 
surprise, just total surprise and delight, actually my children were calmer and happier and I realized, oh, this actually settles them when I am in the moment and feeling sexually responsive in this discreet way. Mm -hmm. And I noticed my husband like looking at me and asking me questions. And I didn't tell him I was, this is all research. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) anecdotal research, but all research. I didn't, I, if someone had said, Hey, what are you doing? I wouldn't have admitted it the first time that I (laughs) did this, but, um, it really was the beginning of, of a whole way of being with one another that feels sexual that probably isn't really perceived by anyone besides him and me other than that we're happy with one another and it means that when i'm cooking he will sometimes brush his finger on the back of my neck in a way that just feels so delicious or when he's leaving for work i work from home now and he goes to work like that kiss goodbye that's a real kiss that's not just a little bye honey and he's already out the door like there's a way in which bringing bringing the erotic into the everyday has enhanced all of life profoundly wow i love that discreet image um and you know again even if someone maybe you know adult children start picking up and they're like I know what's up, mom and dad. <laughs> um, right. Well, it's not in my case, aggressive. I wrote about this in my book. Oh, so yeah, my, my older kids who've read my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, they're like, I know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, now I know. Oh, mom's giving dad the, the look. <laughs> but it's, you know, permission for them to do that with their partner. And it's not passing a line. It's not being aggressive. It's not saying, you know, you guys have to just accept it because that's what mom and dad, you know, we love each other. It was more of, we get to experience each other in a fuller moment. Um, than these, just like you were saying that quick transactional, you know, kiss peck on the lips goodbye. And it really is just a transactional thing. It's not this intimate moment, even, you know, as fleeting as a quick kiss could be, um, you've had some that like a spark and others that you're just like, Hey, bye. (laughs) So there is a difference. I'm sure not too many people could pick up on those nuances, but a couple who has shared more with themselves with that one person than it probably anyone else. You can pick on those, pick up on those discrete differences. You absolutely can. And, um, The way that I really think about this, it's reflected in my book, which is called Uncompromising Intimacy. And the thing that I want to say is that really throughout the Western world, for sure, and maybe the whole world, far and away, the most common marriage relationship advice that is given is that you need to compromise. You need to be good at compromise. You need to learn to compromise compromise is what like the bedrock of a happy marriage and that is just completely completely wrong if you want 
a bland, pleasant companionship, mm-hmm. compromise is absolutely the recipe. That's it a will, business transaction. <laughs> well, it can be a little bit more fond than that. Yes, it's a business transaction, but but you know, with with a little bit of fondness to it. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a security to that comfort. Mm-hmm. But it definitely creates what I describe as the conflict-free, passion-free relationship. Mm. And if what you want is passion and some spiciness and real erotic connection and a feeling of intimacy in your relationship, then being uncompromising is the way to go. But by uncompromising, I don't mean that you always get your own way, that you become some kind of dominating bully. It's more that when we compromise, we are withholding or ignoring and denying our desires, our internal experience, our challenges, our dreams. What really is happening inside. And we don't say it because we think it will be more comfortable for our partner if we don't. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking about being uncompromising, I'm talking about learning to bring all of who you are in such a way that your partner can hear it, which of course is a learnable skill. But when you walk home or you walk into your bedroom, you don't want to have to drop off essential parts of your soul. You want to be able to bring all of who you are. And when you do, then that really is the recipe or the requirement anyway, for passion in the context of a long lasting relationship. And I can't say enough how good people in what looks like good marriages, how much they just habituate to compromise. Like if your husband and your kids love Italian food, but you have a craving for Thai, Mm -hmm. when was the last time you said you wanted Thai food? Maybe you're okay with the Italian, but that over time becomes a form of compromise. And when I coach women who've been married a long time, There are many when I say, well, what do you want? Whether it's how they want to be spoken to, how they want to be touched in the bedroom, what kind of vacation they want to go on, how they want to choose the art for their living room. Like it can be anything, but what do you want? It's so common for a woman to say, well, it would be best for us if, or I know my husband would like, or what I should do. Yes, but what do you want? It's almost that unsaid, unheard compromise. In my mind, I convinced myself it's not a big deal. Oh, tonight, um, I wasn't serviced and I didn't get off. Um, I didn't get a climax. Eh, oh, well, it's just one night. and but it slowly starts setting a precedence and then it really does chip away at, well, now I can't bring it up if I want it. Cause it's going to be a change or a shock to our typical system. And instead of me just kind of bringing it up, like, Oh, 
next time I would love to be able to get off. Okay. You know, and then, you know, be able to still enjoy that night and not have to worry about it. The compromise wouldn't be, well, next time I have to, and you're not going to tell me anything about it. It's more of just that not allowing yourself to convince your, that it's unimportant, or it's just that small minor thing. It's kind of what I'm hearing is that silent compromise. Yes. Yes, for sure. So if you compromise enough, you just get in the habit of it and don't really notice it anymore. Mm -hmm. Or you can compromise and be okay with it. But then resentment builds and it comes out in other ways. And really, I don't believe in a transactional approach. So if let's say last night, the focus was on your partner, and you didn't come, you didn't have the pleasure you might have wanted. To me, the the way to address that in the context of uncompromising intimacy is not to make sure that the next time you get yours. I mean, mm -hmm. let's hope you do. But yeah. that doesn't actually, that's just, that that's more um, like treating, treating your sex life as a form of commerce. Yeah. And, and that, that's okay. That's better than just, you know, always silently suffering, but that's not actually what leads to passion. What's much more likely to lead to passion is to say, you know, I was really glad that you had such a good time, but my feelings were hurt. In other words, to make the vulnerable communication, because it's at that point, it's about your hurt feelings or feeling unimportant or take it for granted or rejected or ignored or whatever it is that you feel. That's the thing that's more important in that moment than what happens when you have sex the next time? It doesn't erase the hurt no, feelings. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think that's a big confusion for, for what um, a lot of folks have maybe defined compromise as, oh, it's that even it's equal. Um, you know, it'll be, we'll get you next time. So if they have almost a misunderstanding of what compromise even is or looks like, how are they even aware that they are continually making this, these types of compromises that are chipping away who they are and what they need and how they can be fully present for themselves and their partner? Um, well, I don't actually think people are looking to identify that they're compromising, but if you are listening to this conversation, my recommendation is that you ask yourself two questions. The first one is what do you desire? What do you want? It's a question that can be asked in any context, including sexually, but certainly not only. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want? And then the second question is, and are you comfortable saying it in a way that your partner can hear it? And if the answer to both of those questions is, you know, yes, well, what do you want isn't a yes, no question, but like, do you know what you want? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. And are you comfortable telling it fully to your partner 
and having a positive conversation that does not lead to disconnection, but leads to closeness, then you're not compromising. But if any of these, the answer is no, then probably you are compromising. And um, I would be remiss not to mention that my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, which is available both on Amazon and Audible, really details how to go about overcoming compromise. And I also have a program, the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program, which is my signature program that I just adore, where I tell stories of how couples use the tools that I teach and give you exercises, which really are the things that make a difference. And um, it really is about learning to overcome the tendency and cultural conditioning to compromise. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say, because I think it's so interesting, it's called the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program, but most of the program is about the alignment. And I know that you've discussed this on other episodes, how just improving communication isn't enough to improve sex, but improving communication to the point of alignment and letting go of compromise and learning to be uncompromising mm -hmm. is necessary to then be able to have the conversations and the erotic explorations, which are so entirely delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, they really can, you know, one can block the other. Um, you know, I'm really listening to this and even hearing there can be that unconscious compromise, one that you're just not even aware of. And especially, um, women in our society and our culture and how easy it is to, I can put my needs on the back burner. I'm okay with that. Um, but how long are you going to be okay with that until you don't recognize yourself anymore? You know, you asked, do you know what your wants are and your needs, your sexual needs? And I could tell you there's been plenty of opportunities for me to reflect on that. And there's still every once in a while, I'm like, I'm not sure. And if I say that, I know I've been compromising too much or, or maybe just allowing myself to get wrapped up in someone else's needs first than my own. And so um, it's definitely multi-stepped. Can you recognize it? Now that you've recognized it, you have all these wonderful steps to go forward to the next thing. So um, really wonderful that it's not just one thing. It's okay. <laughs> we'll get you there. There's lots of resources out there for um, those who are looking for that passion, that spiciness, that um, sexiness within a long-term marriage. It can be, you know, a lot of folks will laugh and be like, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Oh, but it does. Um, it does. Let me tell you about, so I've been married for 26 years, so I can speak with absolute authority personally from 26 years, but uh, I there's one couple that I've uh, worked with. They've been married for 51 years, and she is very clear that she is having the best orgasms of her oh, life now Love so that. in their early 70s. And then this other couple that joined my Facebook group. So I haven't worked with them, but 
in my Facebook group, which is called the Intimate Marriage Facebook group, uh, they have been married for 53 years. And she posted that two years ago, that they've always had a strong sex life. And two years ago, they had a sexual awakening. And now their connection is really off the charts. So is this common? No, of course not. We're not fools. But is this possible? Absolutely. And if it's going to happen, why not you? Mm, I love that. It's um and being willing to, um, I do want to put in the work. Um, I think a, a big one is what if one partner is seeing this and wanting this and the other partner is still maybe unaware or is okay with that transactional day-to-day, you're a good roommate. We got things, our, our, it's going well, not realizing how much more could, could it, it could be. How, um, how do you bring that up to a partner? How do you allow that to, um, not create more disconnect or even saying I'm unhappy because most people aren't saying they're unhappy. They just, they are looking for like, how do we turn it up without you feeling bad? Yeah. So in every complaint is hidden a desire and we often have more access to our complaints. So your job, if you're the one who wants to change things, is to clarify your complaints and then look for the desires because the thing that really won't work is blaming your partner Mm -hmm. for what isn't working for you. So the way that I recommend people start such a conversation is to first say, hey, I'd like to discuss something with you. Are you available to hear it? Because you want opt-in. Otherwise, like it's a normal thing to respond in a defensive way. So you want to collaborate. You want to both be in agreement that you're having the conversation. And then I recommend that you name some areas of your relationship that you really love, that you collaborate on. You know, I... I love so much how we have coordinated and um, really stood by one another parenting our children, or I love this home, you know, it is amazing to live here with you or whatever it is. If, If you're in a relationship of the kind we're talking about, there are some parts of your relationship which are unequivocally going well. And so you can start with that like acknowledge the goodness you and your partner have and then say, and I was wondering about putting attention on our intimate life. So it is as good as how we both feel about our parenting or whatever it is that, in other words, start with something that you both can enjoy and celebrate. Even if in this moment, it seems less important than your intimate life, don't let that distract you. Just mm-hmm. acknowledge maybe maybe they're really good at taking care of their car. I love the way that you caress your car when you're cleaning it. You are so amazing when you do that. I wonder about bringing 
some of that energy to up level our intimate life. Anyway, you get the idea. It's going to be very individual for mm -hmm. the particular couple and the culture of their marriage. Yes. Not the whole, you love your car more than me. No, <laughs> like, no, that's we, not what I'm saying. Those, and it's... those are going to be the ones that are going to pull you far, far away from this conversation. You might be having that internal thought and that could be what triggers, you know, that complaint. So within the desire or the, within that complaint is the desire of, I'd love for you to bring that energy. Yeah. But even us. to start with, yeah, <laughs> I've never used the example of the car, but here we are to be like, <laughs> I've fallen in love with you again, seeing how devoted you are and how much you've learned about how to take care of your car. Mm -hmm. I wonder what would happen if we both brought that kind of energy to how we touch one another. Like it, it needs to be something that feels good to hear and inspiring and mm -hmm. non-confrontational, no blame, no judgment, but Looked more of an little... invitation. Like let's hack what's working. Yeah. And would you like to hack it and bring it into the intimate aspect of our marriage. So most commonly then the partner's going to say, mm, okay, either yes, or <laughs> I'm open to trying. And then I recommend if this is a new conversation and you have the concern that bringing this up is going to lead to more disconnection, then I recommend that the next, that might actually be enough for that moment or you can keep going and just share some things that you've enjoyed. If mm -hmm. there are times that you had sex 10 years ago and they're memorable, refer to that. If there are particular positions that you enjoy, if you can't think of anything that happens in your bedroom, then maybe the way that you hold hands on the couch while watching a movie, like just pick something that you both experience that you can tell your spouse you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, if that's a big deal, that's actually enough for the first time. You don't need to go into what you want to change until you have a version of this conversation another time. You want it to feel good. You want it to be affirming and establish the admiration and love before you get into, and I wonder about doing this differently in this way. Mm -hmm. and, and just a beautiful way to model bringing something up that really is not inviting defensiveness. I mean, it's hard to fight that comment when someone's almost giving you or you know, giving you a compliment. You're like, oh, you noticed me. You saw me right there. You were um, being appreciative, validating my love or enjoyment or you know, hobby, whatever it is. It's just really, really neat to hear that. And just like you said, if it's if maybe your convert or your um, communication pattern isn't usually like that, just slowly into and then pumping that up into then a request first, just a statement. Um, I'm seeing a little bit of that patterned off of the nonviolent communication theory, you know, where it's just bringing in a statement, 
um, and then making a request. But at the very first, you're just kind of bringing in, I'm observing this and I appreciate that observation. Um, that's really neat. Um, so it's just, it's a conver um, communication pattern. Many of us are probably unaware <laughs> or haven't intentionally practiced, but like you said, it's a learned behavior. You can learn these ways to bring the, this up. You can learn to look at your partner in those appreciative ways. Then the conversation's so much easier. Then all you see is the good stuff and, you know, the little stuff is maybe quieter um, or the negative stuff is, is quieter and you can build upon more of that positive. Absolutely love just imagining how that would continue to build for others. Right, because the other thing that I'm thinking of when sharing these recommendations is like a conversation you would have with a child where it's time for the sex conversation, I'm putting that in air quotes, people often think of it that way, but that's not what it is. I mean, ideally, it's sex conversations, like mm -hmm. you just want to open it up and establish you're available for dialogue as things arise. Any kind of conversation about sex really in any context with your partner or with your child it's not a one and done activity it's an ongoing dialogue as needed mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm saying that because we can easily whether we received it or not whether we've given it to our children or not we can see how that would be the case with children and it's also the case with a spouse when we're bringing up desires and new orientations within intimacy. Mm, love that. I mean, we've been on a, a really great journey of exploring kind of the different sides of the spectrum of if you have, have really, really wanted to turn it up, here it is. Here's how to really start those conversations if they're brand new and in infancy to maybe we're getting into this and this is now more of a habit. What if somebody um, is in a committed long-term relationship right now and they're like, you know what, we've been tapping into this, but we're afraid it's just going to be, you know, those ups and downs, like what we're probably expecting because life gets in the way. Um, how, what advice could you give someone who's maybe on the up and up with their sexual relationship with their spouse or long-term partner? How do they keep it up? How do they maintain that? That's such a beautifully asked question. So there are a few things. One is that for someone in that context, I'm a big fan of scheduled intimacy. And the reason if, if you're in one of the other categories that Mariah described, then just forget about what I'm saying. But if you're already comfortable enough, it's like anything that's important to us, we schedule it. We schedule going to the gym. We schedule homework, like whatever, Matt, we schedule our podcast interviews. And there's a way in which we do our intimate sex life a disservice if we just leave it essentially to chance. So that's one thing that I would say. Another thing that I would say that really contributes to ongoing passion is to always 
have an explicit focus with your spouse, which could be related to sex or not necessarily, but there's a way in which ongoing growth, learning, expansion, and integrating new aspects and new experiences absolutely contributes to marital passion. And so maybe one, I mean, this is something my husband and I do. We might have one month where there's something that we're exploring that is sex related. And then there might be another month where we're exploring making sure we get to bed on time because that's something that I in particular still need attention on. It does not happen naturally. Um, maybe we're focused on something related to our children or um, fitness or having fun. We've definitely had phases where like our focus is having fun and that could mean fun together and choosing particularly fun things to do on date nights. It could be actually doing something separate while we are uh, recording this. Actually, my husband is folk dancing, something he has loved doing since he performed in college. And I don't really know how to folk dance. I have other things that I love to do, but there's a way in which it's still bonding and connecting if that's our focus this month. So mm -hmm. either monthly or quarterly to actually essentially decide what's the vision what what mm -hmm. is the playground for our marriage for the next phase that itself adds juice and allows the intimacy and the bond you share to be more central and less something to do after everything else is attended to mm. I care enough. I want to invest. Exactly. I want to intentionally put energy and time into us, you, me, and what we can build together. That is so amazing to have someone committed to that and wanting to bring you along or you wanting to bring that your favorite person in this world along with that adventure. So, um, really love to just hear that. And again, no matter what level, wherever you are at in the spectrum with your, your relationship, there can always be something that you can fuel it. And it's not, you have to wait till I get here or that's for somebody in a different type of relationship. There's always something we can be working on intentionally and, um, not because it's not good, but because we always want to make it better. I will put that energy out there for everyone. Absolutely. Well, Alexandra, where can anyone find you, your information, your books, your podcast, all of that? AlexandraStockwell.com. You can download the first chapter of my book for free. You can find a link to purchase my book. Uh, you can find the Intimate Marriage Podcast, my, my podcast where I do solo episodes and I interview couples with fabulous relationships, which would make sense in the context of this conversation. I want people to like go behind closed doors and hear what mm. makes a particular relationship be wonderful. Um, I also, I have a program for women focused on desires and learning to know what you desire and how to convey that. 
And then my signature program, my baby, which is just so impactful, the Aligned and Hot Marriage program. But anyway, if any of that appeals to you, <laughs> you can find all of it at alexandrastockwell.com. That's wonderful. I just want to thank you for your time and for your dedication to this um, niche. You know, we, so many people ignore it or think that it's just normal. Um, that's all the characters on TV, everyone that I have been around, that's just their relationship, but we get to have so much more. So I love that you even started with that mammals. We need to see, we need to hear and model, and you are showing off all of those wonderful, healthy models that we can learn that behavior from. So thank you so much for your time. And everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Please uh, visit us at saltysexcast.com for past episodes. Um, we have our merch. We have other ways that you can get involved with these topics, including becoming a Patreon member and um, supporting our podcast financially. So again, you can find that all at saltysexcast.com. Alexandra, thank you so much. And we'll see everyone next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Salty Sex Cast. Ready for round two? Find us on Facebook. <laughs>